In our series on the new birth, we need to touch on the issue of the blood of Christ. Because just as many are taught that they have received the Spirit before they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, so there are many who are taught that the blood of Christ washes their sins away before they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost or before they receive the Spirit. We need to look then at what the revelation of God is concerning the blood of Christ. Let's start reading in John chapter 6, where Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he begins saying in verse 48, I am the bread of life. He said in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How is this man able to give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I am living by the Father, so also that man who eats me shall live by me. It says in verse 60 that when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? What if you should see the Son of Man ascending up to where he was before? And then he adds, It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is completely useless. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. So when Jesus was saying, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to have eternal life. He was speaking spiritually. He was not speaking about his natural flesh and his natural blood. But they didn't understand that because they were carnally minded. They knew the Scriptures. They knew that in Leviticus 17, God had strictly commanded his people, you shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh. For the life of all flesh is the, is the blood thereof. Whoever eats or drinks blood, we would say, shall be cut off. In other words, doomed forever. He says in 17.10, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers or foreigners that sojourn among you, who eats any kind of blood, we would say drinks, but who eats any kind of blood, I will set my face against that soul who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. So of course these disciples of Jesus being carnally minded did not understand him when he said, you must drink my blood. They kept thinking of these scriptures in Leviticus where God said, if you drink any kind of blood, I will cut you off forever. And this shows us how true Paul's words are in Romans 8, where he said, to be carnally minded is death.
if we think of Jesus' words in a natural sense, we're likely to die. To be carnally minded is death, Paul said, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Jesus said, the words that I'm speaking to you, they are spirit and they are life. Well, what, what is spiritual about telling people to eat your flesh and drink your blood? Well, let's see if we can figure this out. We have the revelation. We have what God said through Jesus. You have to drink his blood. And we have what the revelation that God gave Moses. If you drink any kind of blood, you'll be cut off. How do we put them together? Remember what I just read in Leviticus? God said you cannot drink blood because the blood is the life of the flesh. Well, think about that. The blood is what gives life to your extremities, the ends of your fingers, the ends of your toes. All over your body, blood flows. If not, that part of the body dies. Blood is what keeps your body alive. It carries oxygen and other needed things to, the, to the, every part of your body, all the organs, your skin, Everything is kept alive by the blood. Paul said in Romans 8.10, If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The life of your natural fleshly body is the natural blood that flows in it. The life of the body of Christ God's family on earth, is in the spiritual blood that flows through it. And that spiritual blood is the Spirit. The Spirit is life. The natural blood is the life of the natural body. The Spirit is the life of the body of Christ. The Spirit is life. And that's what Jesus tried to explain to them when they became offended at his claim that you had to drink his blood to have life. He said, the words that I am speaking to you, they are spirit. They're life. The spirit gives life. Since the life of the body of Christ is in the spirit, this is why the New Testament writers refer to the spirit as the blood of Christ. What Jesus said to them was startling only because they were thinking that he wanted them to eat his natural flesh and drink his natural blood. But that's not what Jesus was saying, and it's not what he's saying to you right now. The natural blood of Jesus had to be shed at Calvary because God required it. He was the Lamb of God in his human body, and that Lamb had to be sacrificed for our sins. The shedding of the natural blood of Jesus was the precondition that God demanded to be met before he would allow the incorruptible blood of Christ, the Spirit, to be shed on Jesus' followers. This happened in Acts 2 on Pentecost morning. The disciples were washed from their sins in the blood of the Lamb. They were not washed from their sins in the natural blood that fell out of Jesus' natural body. That natural blood was as normal and natural and corruptible as yours and mine. 
Jesus' fingernails were natural fingernails. So are yours. Jesus' hair on his head and his beard were natural, just like yours. He, he had a human body with human organs, human eyebrows, human toes and fingers, and human blood. The incorruptible blood of Christ was the Spirit of God that gave him life on the inside. The multitude on the day of Pentecost watching the disciples stagger under the power of God and speak in tongues, they were amazed and shocked at how Jesus' disciples were behaving. They were speaking in tongues and acting like drunk men. Peter preached to them that day, and he used words that were reminiscent of the blood imagery. He said that Christ, he said this, has shed forth this that you now see and hear. Well, what were they now seeing and hearing but the power of God working through men, the power of the Spirit of God giving them life on the inside the way Jesus had life on the inside. For the first time ever, Peter and James and John and the others were drinking the blood of Christ. Peter described the pouring out of God's Spirit as the shedding of the Spirit. Paul used these same terms in Titus, the third chapter, when he said, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration. That's the baptism of rebirth. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Spirit that God has shed forth upon us is the blood of Christ, the incorruptible blood, the true blood, the blood that Jesus said we must drink if we want eternal life. Paul told the Corinthians that we've all been baptized into one body by one Spirit. We've all been made to drink of that one Spirit. This is the blood of Christ, the Spirit of God, the blood that is still flowing today, still reaching and cleansing souls from sin. Jesus' natural human blood could never cleanse a soul from sin. It had to be shed. He had to die. It was the price that He had to pay so that the true, incorruptible blood that was in His being, giving Him life, could come to us and cleanse us from sin and give us life. The Roman soldiers surely were spattered with Jesus' natural blood during the crucifixion process, but they were not sanctified by that blood when it hit them. His human blood was human. But inside his body, there lived a spirit from God that he called his true blood and that he told us we had to drink. He lived by the commandments of God and he called that his true bread and he told us we had to eat it. Our communion in the fellowship of Christ is, uh, is that bread. Paul said, we being many are one body and one bread when we bear witness to one another, when we encourage one another, when we testify to one another, we are breaking the bread of life. We are partaking of the communion that Jesus suffered and died for us to have. Think reasonably about this. 
Paul says in Romans 5, 9 that we are justified by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10, 29 says that we have been sanctified by the blood of Christ. We are justified, we are sanctified, and washed from our sins in the blood of Christ. But at the same time, other scriptures tell us that we are justified, sanctified, and washed from sin by the Spirit of God. Which way is it? Does the blood wash us from sin or does the Spirit? The Bible says both. Does the blood justify us before God or does the Spirit? Both are in the Scriptures. Both are revelation. The revelation of God says that we're sanctified by the blood of Christ. And the revelation of God also tells us we're sanctified by the Spirit of God. That is the revelation. That is our foundation. What reasonably can we conclude except that the blood of Christ is the Spirit? When the Spirit sanctifies us, we have been sanctified by the blood because the Holy Spirit is the blood of Christ. When the Spirit washes our sins away, the blood has washed our sins away. When the Spirit justifies us before God, the blood has justified us before God. The division that men have invented with their own reasoning apart from the revelation of God is an invented one. The division that has developed between receiving the Holy Ghost and the blood washing away sins is one that men have imagined. It is unscriptural. It is baseless. It is just the result of the thoughts of men and is apart from the revelation of God. You cannot have your sins washed away before you receive the Holy Ghost baptism because the Holy Ghost is what washes it away. It is the true blood that you must drink. We're told that the resurrection from the dead is accomplished by the power of God's Spirit. That's in Romans 8. So it is by the Spirit dwelling in us that we are going to be raised from the dead. But in Hebrews 13, 20, the resurrection is said to be accomplished by the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, which one is it? Will we take one and leave the other off? Or can we reasonably conclude that when the apostles mention the blood of Christ, they're referring to the Spirit of God? They are the same thing. When the Bible speaks of the blood of Christ, it is speaking of the Holy Ghost because Jesus referred to it in that way. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. When Paul talks of the communion, the true communion of God that's in the Spirit, that's in the blood of Christ and in the body of Christ, the breaking of the body of Christ to one another, he says, I speak as unto wise men, judge you what I say. In Revelation 7, 4, we're told that the saints of God washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Now you tell me, if the blood of Christ was the natural fluid that came out of Jesus' body when he was whipped and crucified, and you took that fluid and washed your clothes in it, what color would your clothes come out to be? 
your own common sense and reason that you have from God tells you. You know that if you took that natural blood that flowed out of Jesus' body, your clothes would be washed red. But in Revelation 7, it says that the saints wash their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of the Lamb that cleanses you from every sin. The blood of Christ makes our spiritual robes white. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Here's another example from Ephesians 2.13. Paul wrote that we are brought near to God by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is what gets us close to God. Five verses later, in 2.18, Paul said, We have access to the Father by the Spirit. Which way is it? Or is it either or? Sometimes the blood gets you to God, sometimes the Spirit. You know that's not true. The Spirit is the blood that washes away sin and gives life to the body of Christ. 1 Peter 1.18 speaks of incorruptible blood. Incorruptible means eternal, deathless. It's not natural. It's immortal. The blood of Christ is incorruptible. It is what redeems us to God. It is the Spirit. We are redeemed when we receive the Spirit, the true blood of Christ. You cannot separate the blood of Christ from the Holy Ghost because they are the same thing. You cannot reasonably conclude, based upon the revelation of God, that your sins are washed away and then later you get an extra blessing of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That is unreasonable and unrighteous. Your sins are not washed away by the blood of Christ before you receive the Holy Ghost. Your sins, as were Paul's, are washed away when you receive the Holy Ghost because the Spirit is the life-giving blood of Christ. We've all heard about the Antichrist, but usually when he's spoken of, in spite of the biblical evidence, he is spoken of as one who is coming in the future, when actually he has been here nearly 2,000 years. The Antichrist arrived shortly after Christ did. In this last segment of our series on the new birth, we will expose that crafty Antichrist for what he really is, a lying spirit whose chief work from the beginning has been to confuse people concerning the new birth. His chief work from the beginning has been to persuade people to believe they are born again before they are. His chief goal has been to teach people to confess that they are born again before they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, hoping that when they do hear about the spirit baptism, they will feel no need 
for it and will turn away in a show of ungodly confidence. This is the real Antichrist, and oh, how successful he has been. I understand that it may seem strange to some of you that we should conclude a series on the new birth by studying the Antichrist. Actually, though, it is perfectly fitting. If there is any issue which Satan desires men to be confused about, it is the issue of the new birth. That is the purpose and the plan of his Antichrist spirit that is already at work and has been at work since almost the beginning of the new covenant. The Antichrist is not some future monster for which we are to look. He is, as both John the Apostle and Paul said, a spiritual presence that has already come and had already come in their day. In John's first epistle, chapter 2, verse 18, he wrote, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. This is almost 2,000 years ago, and John says, Even now there are many Antichrists. Now, we need to consider what the apostles wrote because they knew the truth. In the next verse, in verse 19, he said, They, now this is the Antichrists that have gone out into the world, they went out from us. So they had been walking in the apostles' doctrine and spirit at some point. They went out from us. But, John says, they were not of us, or they were not from us. We didn't send them out. For if they were from us, they would have remained among us. But they went out from us so that they might be exposed, because not all are from us. We read in Acts 15 that some men went out from Jerusalem, away from John, away from Peter, away from James, teaching things that were not true to the Gentiles. Such were the Antichrists. They went out from us. The Antichrist are those among the true saints of God who are very religious. They are not anti-religion. They are not anti-Jesus. They are anti what Christ really is. In the first century A.D., the word anti did not mean against. It meant instead of. It's used in the New Testament for one example where Jesus said, if any of you who is a father has a son and that son asks you for a fish, will that father, will, will you anti a fish, give him a stone? It means instead of. The spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of instead of Christ. It's a spirit instead of what is really the spirit of Christ. It is a very religious spirit. But it's a spirit of a religion that is instead of the true one. It offers a forgiveness that is not really forgiveness. It offers a love that is instead of the love of God. It offers a fellowship that is instead of the fellowship of Christ. It offers doctrines 
that are instead of the doctrine of God. Paul warned his fellow believers of those who would come teaching another Jesus or offer them another spirit. The Antichrist offers you another Jesus. The spirit of Antichrist is very religious, as I said. It teaches in the name of God things that are not right. It offers another Jesus who has no power. It offers another spirit that does not confess Christ when it enters in. This is what anti really meant when John wrote it. Now the first point then that we really need to understand in order to comprehend the mystery of iniquity as Paul described it concerning the Antichrist, the man of sin, is that the Antichrist has already come and has been here since almost the beginning of the New Testament. There are now, remember, John said, many Antichrists, and they went out from us. They existed in his day. This is 2,000 years ago. They were already here. They were people who walked with Christ and then walked away, who walked with the apostles and then began to teach perverse things. They departed from the faith that had been revealed to the saints and began to teach a doctrine which even now still has wide acceptance among believers. This is the spirit of Antichrist. We do not want to be among those who hold simplistic notions about the Antichrist. The Antichrist spirit is a deeply religious spirit. It is here and it has been here a long time. That's the first thing we want to know. Paul never mentions the word Antichrist. He calls this spirit by a different name. He calls it uh, the man of sin or the son of perdition. Perdition means destruction or damnation. And this spirit is the son of it. In other words, it has the nature of it. It produces death and damnation where it is received. When the, this man of sin, this son of perdition, the spirit of Antichrist enters in, when it's welcomed, it brings desolation. Jesus called it the abomination of desolation. God hates it, and if you embrace it, it makes you desolate of the things of God. Jesus said it was an abomination, but he also said what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination with God. And the religion of the man of sin, the religion of the spirit of Antichrist, is very highly esteemed on this earth. It looks good. It, it says it's good. People think it's good, but it's without the holiness and power of the Spirit of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes about this spirit in this way. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren... By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you not be soon shaken in mind or alarmed by a spirit or by a spoken word or by a letter seeming to be from us saying that the day of Christ is at hand. Somebody was writing these saints in Thessalonica saying that the day of Christ was at hand. Jesus said one of the signs that his time is not near is that men would rise up in his name and say that it is. Have you ever heard that? Jesus could come back at any moment. All things are fulfilled. Jesus said they would be here. And they would say the time is at hand. And they did do that. And they are here now. 
Many of them. Don't be fooled into thinking that Jesus is about to come at any moment. It's not time for him to come. I've been telling this to people for many years now. It's doubtful that Jesus will come in my lifetime or yours if you're listening to me in the same year that I'm uh, broadcasting this. Many things must happen before Jesus comes again. But the false teachers try to manipulate people through fear to give them more money, to do as they say, to carry out the ceremonies, to believe the doctrines. The spirit of Antichrist is in control of all of it to keep God's people under control. Paul was writing these Thessalonians and saying, be careful, do not fall into that trap. Then Paul goes on to say this, let no man deceive you by any means, because that day, and he's talking about the coming of Jesus, shall not come unless there comes first a falling away and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now notice that Paul does not prophesy to the saints here that the man of sin is coming sometime in the future. What he's saying, what he's prophesying, is that he would be revealed, he would be exposed, he would be brought out of the darkness and exposed for what he really is. He was already there. In the first part of verse 7 in the same chapter, Paul says, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. The man of sin was already there in Paul's day. The Antichrist was already there in John's day. They weren't saying to look in the future for a, a, a monstrous man to come who is the Antichrist. Neither one of them said that. They said it's already going on, but before Jesus comes back, it's going to be exposed. So this man of sin is already at work, just as John said. There are many Antichrists, and they went out from us. Paul is describing that same spirit, those same people, directed by that same man of sin, Lucifer himself, but that man of sin has been revealed to some of God's people. He's been revealed to us. God is beginning to set his people free. We all know that in John's revelation, the book of Revelation, a beast is mentioned. This is a great world ruler who will have a helper called the false prophet, and they will subjugate the entire earth and persecute and put to death any who do not worship the beast. But that is not the Antichrist. That beast is coming, but the Antichrist is already here. He's been here, as I said, almost from the inception of the New Testament. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Even now there be many Antichrist. There is a reason that the word Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. Think about that. When you use the word Antichrist, you are talking about a being who has been here since the earliest days of the New Testament and has worked and is virtually in control of the minds of God's people today. But he is going to be revealed for what he really is and the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, is doing that now in the hearts of many who believe the truth when they hear it. The Antichrist is already at work, and he's in full command of that institution that is called the church. 
And he's already seated in the temple of God because Paul says, he prophesies about this and describes it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, chapter 2, verse 4. He said that this Antichrist sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now don't think in carnal terms. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul said that the Antichrist sits in the temple of God. What did Paul say is the temple of God? He wrote to the Corinthian saints and said, Don't you know that you are the temple of God? The Holy Ghost dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 That is the only temple of God on the planet. Paul asked the saints to think about that and to think that way. So when Paul said that the Antichrist is sitting in the temple of God, he's not describing a building in Jerusalem. Many religious teachers, biblical teachers, carnally minded, read that verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, about the man of sin sitting in the temple of God, and they teach that this Antichrist is a bad man coming in the future who's going to build a building in Jerusalem and sit in it. Well, look. Paul was not foolish. Paul used words the way God uses words. When Paul said, this man of sin is sitting in the temple of God, he knew what the temple of God is. He didn't teach that a temple would be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Even if men did build a temple in Jerusalem, it wouldn't be the temple of God. They might call it that, but that won't make it true. What Paul said was true. The Antichrist is sitting in God's temple. And you are the temple of the living God because the Holy Ghost is dwelling in you. That is where the Antichrist is reigning, in the temple of God, in the hearts of people who have the real Spirit of God. They are the only temple of God that exists on the planet. Those in whom the Spirit of God is. That is where the throne of the Antichrist is. He's sitting there as God, claiming to be God himself. And God's people have received him that way because they've been misled by Christian doctrine. That's how you receive the spirit of Antichrist through his doctrines. Even ancient philosophers, Socrates and Plato, knew and said that whatever deceives bewitches. Paul mentioned this same thing, implied the same thing in his letter to the Galatians when he asked them who had bewitched them that they no longer should believe the truth. You see, the spirit of Antichrist had made it and his ministers had made it to Galatians and perverted the faith of the saints there. It was already working in Paul's day. When you receive a lie into your heart, you receive a spirit with it. You become somewhat bewitched, a spell is cast over your spirit. And Paul saw this working among God's people in his day. John saw it working in his day. He said, you've heard that it was coming, and here it is. But God is going to reveal the spirit of Antichrist to be exactly what it is in his sight. Are you ready to have that man of sin revealed as a part of preparing for the coming of the Lord? The Antichrist doctrine 
is that He is not here yet. He is here telling you that He's coming. We see Him. We know He's already here. We see Him as taking over many of the hearts and minds of the people looking for God. And in the main, God's people have received Him as if He was the Lord Himself and made room for Him in their hearts. Paul said to the Thessalonians in that same chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians 2, 5, and 6, he said, Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you about this? And now you know what is restraining, what is holding things back so that he might be revealed in his time. Not come, he was already there, but be revealed in his time. It must be time for God to begin to reveal the Antichrist for what he really is. To reveal the doctrines that he teaches. To reveal the fact that he's been here the whole time. To reveal the fact that he teaches, the spirit of Antichrist teaches that he's not here yet. God is setting some of his people free. Don't you want to be among them? God is visiting people who are in bondage to Christianity to set them free and open their eyes and let them see that spirit of Antichrist that sits in their temple telling them this is, the, this is God. God is hearing the cry of his abused people and he hurts for them. Now, the key verses in the Bible that help us best understand what is the spirit of Antichrist are in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. John the Apostle addresses the people that he loves so much to help them see clearly in their day the spirit of Antichrist and the real spirit of God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, this is the only place in the Bible where we are told this is how you know the Spirit of God. The reason John felt the need to write to these people to tell them what the real Spirit of God was is that the Spirit of Antichrist was already at work in their midst. He wrote to them and, and said, Cherished people of God, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they be of God because many false prophets have gone out from us into the world. Notice this. John did not say many false prophets have come into the congregation of the Lord from the world. He said they went out into the world, and he'd already told them they went out from us. There's not but one place from which you can go out into the world, and that is out of the kingdom of God. Many false prophets, John said, have gone out from us into the world. And then in verse 2 is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible because he starts it out by saying, By this you know the Spirit of God. Now isn't that important? Don't you want to know what is really the Spirit of God and what is not? Our ears ought to prick up when we hear that. There was something that these antichrists were preaching and today are preaching 
that was confusing the issue as to what is the real Spirit of God. And so John felt moved by the love of God for God's people to speak very plainly what is the Spirit of God and what is not. And if the people needed that knowledge in John's day, when the spirit of Antichrist was just beginning to show its ugly head, how much more now when it has taken control of the religious apparatus that God's people look to for guidance? It's called Christianity. The spirit of Antichrist is the Lord of it. Today, when the spirit of Antichrist has not only come and worked, but has taken over, we need to be delivered from its influence. Now listen. Hereby you know the Spirit of God. This is it. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Please pay attention to what John does not say. He does not say every person who confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is of God. John knew better than that. He knew there were men out there saying Jesus came from God. He called them false teachers. Paul knew better than that. Peter knew better than that. All of the mentioned men out there ministering in the name of Jesus who were liars, who were deceived. Jesus said they were coming. John would never have said every person who tells you or confesses that Jesus came in the flesh is of God. But what he did say is that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God because he knew that every time somebody received the real Spirit of God, that Spirit testified. It spoke in tongues. It confessed that Christ had come in the flesh. Paul said the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. John said in 1 John, the Spirit is the witness because the Spirit is truth. The Old Testament prophets, the New Testament men of God, all spoke of the Spirit speaking, of the testimony of the Spirit. Isaiah said in Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, with stammering lips and another tongue will God speak to this people, to whom He said, this is the rest. This is the real Spirit of God wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this real Spirit of God is the refreshing. Zephaniah 3.9 prophesies about it. Amos. Paul describes it. Peter calls it the answer of a clear conscience toward God. It's vocal. Jesus said, when the Spirit has come, He will testify of me. And John said, this is how you know the real Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Paul spoke of men who had transformed themselves into apostles of Christ, but were liars. They claimed to be apostles of Jesus Christ. They were not anti-Jesus. They were offering men an instead-of-Christ spirit, an antichrist spirit. They were working, in fact, for Satan, Paul said, who himself had been transformed into an angel of light. That is, claiming to preach the gospel. Look, claiming to preach the gospel is one of the marks of the spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist does not speak evil of Jesus. He offers doctrines, and the spirit 
that is instead of Christ. He teaches falsely about the Spirit of God. John spoke truly about the Spirit of God. John said every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. What do we say? John warned his precious brothers and sisters about being deceived by a spirit that did not speak when it came in. He warned them about the false teachers, the Antichrist. Paul warned, them, warned the saints about the false apostles. Jesus warned us. In Matthew 24, Jesus is, is uh, talking about the end of the world and his, his disciples ask him, what are the signs of these things that the end of the world is coming? And what is the sign of your coming? And the first thing Jesus answered them is, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name. Speaking well of Jesus, but not motivated by the Spirit of Christ, not the real Spirit of God that testifies when it comes in, that confesses that Christ has come into your flesh when it comes in. Jesus said they'd be saying, I am anointed, I am Christ. I am Christ means I am anointed. When they come speaking well of Jesus, saying they are ordained to speak things from God, that spirit that they claim is God's doesn't speak when it comes in. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And when you receive the real spirit of Christ, it confesses, it speaks, it testifies as Jesus said. Or as Paul said, it bears witness in Romans 8. When you receive the Holy Ghost, the real Holy Ghost, it speaks through you. It's like the wind that blows through you, Jesus told Nicodemus, and you hear the sound of it. That is the real Spirit of God. The Spirit of Antichrist is the Spirit of Christianity. It's the Spirit that men have to tell you that you have received because it doesn't confess Christ when it comes in. When you receive the real Holy Ghost, it will confess Jesus Christ has come into your body, your flesh. It will confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 26 and 27, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you, he will testify of me, and you also shall bear witness. Do you have the Spirit of God that testifies and confesses Jesus Christ? Or do you have the spirit of Antichrist that some Christian minister told you that you had, that you just have to assume and take his word for it that it's come in? If you have that kind of spirit that did not speak in a heavenly language, or as Isaiah said, in stammering lips or another tongue when it came to you, you have what John describes in 1 John 4, 3. He said, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not of God. And this, this spirit that many are receiving and being told it's the spirit of God, but it says nothing when it comes in, this is the spirit of the Antichrist that you heard was coming, and now already is it in the world. Which spirit do you say is of God? the one that speaks when it comes in and confesses Jesus Christ, or the one that does not. Any non-speaking spirit 
that the devil can get you to recognize as being of God is only a spirit of that man of sin, the Antichrist. He sits in the temple of God because he has persuaded God's people to receive him. Most of God's people in the earth today were persuaded to believe that they had the Spirit of God before they were baptized with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. That's the Spirit of Antichrist. When they received the real Holy Ghost, when their hunger and thirst for righteousness pushed them on and motivated them on to receive the real thing, then they became the temple of God, but they didn't get rid of that non-speaking spirit. They still had confidence in Him. They still believed that they were born again before they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. That's when the spirit of Antichrist is in the temple of God. Every spirit-baptized person on earth has spoken in tongues or with stammering lips when it happened. And most of them have been taught that they were born again before that time. That's the doctrine of the spirit of Antichrist. Many of them claim that they're already saved and were already saved before they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's the doctrine of the Antichrist. That's him in them, motivating them to stand up for him. You didn't have forgiveness of sins until the Holy Ghost came in and it spoke. You didn't have your sins washed away any more than the Apostle Paul did before he received the Holy Ghost. Until you received the baptism of Christ, your sins were not gone. You didn't have God in your heart until the Holy Ghost came in. You didn't have Jesus in your heart. When the Spirit, the real Spirit of God comes in, Jesus said, The Father and I come take our abode. You see, He comes. 1 John 3:24. We know that He dwells in us by the Spirit that He has given to us. How did John know that? Because the Spirit confessed Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Yes, the Spirit of Antichrist has been enthroned for almost 2,000 years among the saints of God on earth. He's been for many, many centuries now in the temple of God claiming that He is God and that receiving Him is greater than receiving the Holy Ghost from God. He claims that He washed your sins away before the Holy Ghost got there. He claims that He cleansed your soul. He forgave your sins before the Holy Ghost got there. And He's a liar. Yes, it's the spirit of Antichrist who teaches men to believe that they are saved before they receive the Holy Ghost baptism. And He has the hearts of my brothers and sisters. And I want them free from Him so that we can all be together in one. The doctrine of the Antichrist, the basis of all of this religion that God hates called Christianity, is that you are right with God before the Son of God baptizes you with His Spirit. You never see, never read in any book of the New Testament of any person being born again before he received the Holy Ghost baptism. There's no example of that in the Bible. The Spirit of Antichrist, in spite of that truth, has just about convinced everybody in the kingdom of God 
that when they received him and his speechless spirit, that's when God came in. And now you know why the word Antichrist never appears in the book of Revelation. John's revelation dealt with the future. But when John wrote that revelation, he was dealing with the spirit of Antichrist among God's people right then and warning them of his speechless spirit. The Antichrist came teaching that men were right with God and had their sins washed away by the blood of Christ without receiving the Holy Ghost baptism with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That's the doctrine of the Antichrist. And what a success that doctrine has been. It has ruined the beautiful garments of the children of God. It has divided us. It has darkened the minds of God's people and turned them against one another. But Jesus will rescue us if we'll ask him. He is now exposing that man of sin to you so that all of us, all of his children, may pursue the things of the Spirit of God together. This is how you know the real Spirit of God, the most important words that I've read to you tonight. John said it, and he knew what he was saying. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard is coming. And it's already here. Paul said, when God exposed him, when God revealed him to his people, that would be a sign that the coming of Jesus is near. And let's hope that's what is happening now. Over the years, many people have asked me, what must I do to be born again? That is the question, isn't it? When John the Baptist came preaching, he told the people, repent and do works meet for repentance. When Jesus came preaching, he said the same thing. Repent, believe the gospel, do works that are fit are fitting to repentance. Many decades later, the Apostle Paul preached that men should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. That's the simple answer to the question, what must I do to be born again? What must I do to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? When John was asked for details by some people, what do you mean repent? He explained to them in Luke chapter 3, if you have two coats and someone has none, give him one. He told the soldiers, do no one any harm and 
don't complain about your wages. There's an attitude of humility that comes with repentance that causes you to do deeds that are different from the ordinary people around you, the ones who have not sought God and have not repented. What must you do to receive the baptism of the Spirit? In John's letter called 1 John, he wrote that everyone who does righteousness is born of God. So we know that we must do righteousness. We must confess our sins and forsake them. Solomon said, he who confesses sin and forsakes it shall receive mercy. We know when we read about John the Baptist preaching that people came to the Jordan River confessing their sins so that they could receive mercy. They had confessed their sins and abandoned them. They weren't confessing the sins they were still committing because they had ceased from committing sin because that's repentance. Repentance is ceasing from sin and replacing those sinful deeds with righteousness. 1 John 2.29, if we know that he is righteous, then we know that everyone who does righteousness is born of him. There's something else John tells us that must happen to be born of God. In chapter 5 of his first letter, in verse 1, he said, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So we know we must believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and we must repent, and we must do righteousness. In chapter 4, 1 John 4, 7, John suggests that we must love God's people. He said in 4, 7, Cherished people, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is the simple answer to the question, how or what must I do to be born again? What must I do to receive the baptism of the Spirit? What must I do to have my sins washed away? We repent, we do works, meet for repentance, we do righteousness, we believe in Jesus. That's the answer. And my prayer is that through this series on the new birth, you've been encouraged not only to know what it is, but to seek it, to have it, and if you already have received it, to value it as you never have before. May God bless you with the riches of His Spirit and keep you in His love unto the end. And may we all meet one day in that land he's prepared for those who love him. No, you've been deceived. No, you've been through fire. Known you for a long, long time, and I know this would take you high. I know what's in your heart, I know what's on your mind, I know that you might hurt right now, 
But you know that the hurt is mine And I love you Yes, I love you I love you. 